Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us today. We're going to be covering a topic that in the 10 years of Go Green Radio, we've never covered before. And it's an area of California that's not just important to the local region. It's an area of North America that is very important to wildlife. It's an ecosystem that's under duress. It's the Salton Sea, and it's down in Southern California. We're going to be talking about it today with two subject matter experts. Andrea Jones is the director of Bird Conservation conservation for Audubon, California, and she's going to be joining us. And Michael Cohen of the Pacific Institute, based in Oakland, California, is also going to be joining us. And we're going to go through both the ecological difficulties that this region is suffering, uh, but we're also going to be talking about some important public policy that's been going on um, and what can be done to restore or to manage the Salton Sea in a way that's both healthy for wildlife and for humans. There's actually some human health impacts going on to the degradation of this area that we want to discuss. So welcome to Go Green Radio, Andrea and Michael. I'm so glad to have you both on the show. Thanks for having us. Well, Michael, I'd like to begin with you. Uh, The majority of our Go Green Radio listeners are not from California. So I'd like for you to talk to us about the Salton Sea and bring us up to speed. Talk to us about where it's located and how it was created, why it's important, where the inflow water comes from, and what are some of the current challenges that the Salton Sea is experiencing? Sure. So, as you mentioned, the Salton Sea is in Southern California, but it's not in the Southern California that people think of. It's about 80 miles northeast of San Diego and located right there in the desert, uh, an area that gets less than three inches of rainfall per year. So here's this lake. It's roughly 335 square miles in size, the largest lake in California. And just just for comparison, it's bigger than uh, the size of New York City in all five of its boroughs, right? It's a huge body of water out there in the middle of the desert. Uh, It's also below sea level. So the Salton Sea currently is about 236 feet below the level of the ocean. So it's this terminal lake, which means that water that flows in, the only way for that water to get out is through evaporation. And the water that comes in is primarily from the Colorado River. So there's been various uh, Salton Seas that used to be called Lake Cahuilla back in the past that uh, formed as the Colorado River meandered through its delta. So before we built all those dams on the river, uh, the river would meander from roughly where it is now near Yuma, uh, and sometimes it would meander west, and sometimes it would just drain into this below-sea-level depression, uh, which is now the Salton Sea. So one way to think of the Salton Sea uh, and that region, that del- the Colorado River del- Delta region, uh, is simply the inverse of the Grand Canyon and all those other majestic canyons on the, on the Colorado River. So all that dirt, all that sediment that was in those canyons had to go somewhere, and where it is now is below the Salton Sea in this whole delta region. So in Mm. fact, the the sediment below it is some 5,000 feet deep. Wow. So in uh, 1905, uh, again, before all these dams were built on the river, they cut an irrigation channel to help irrigate this prime agricultural land in the Imperial Valley. Um, But... There was an unusual winter flood, and then the entire flow of the Colorado River, again, flowed into the Salton Sea and created it roughly from 1905 to 1907. Uh, And so people think of that as essentially the creation of the Salton Sea, but 
another important thing to, to remember about the Salton Sea is that essentially it would have formed anyway because there's so much agriculture in the region. There's mm-hmm. more than 500,000 irrigated acres in the Imperial and Coachella Valleys and then roughly another 500,000 acres below, uh, south of the border in, in the Mexicali Valley, all irrigated with Colorado River water, and much of that water drained into the, into the Salton Sea, and that's how the, the sea is sustained now. Gotcha. Now, what are some of the current challenges that the Salton Sea experiences? Uh, so the, the main challenge facing the Salton Sea right now is uh, the nation's largest agricultural to urban water transfer. So as many as your, of your listeners know, water in the West is a, is a precious commodity. And as uh, the cities of the Southern California and, and, in fact, throughout the West continue to grow, uh, there's more and more demand for a reliable supply of water. Mm-hmm. So historically, that water went to irrigation districts because they were the first people to divert the water and put it to, to beneficial use. But as the cities have grown... Uh, and industry and, and others have demanded uh, increasing amounts of water, they're looking to other places to, to get that water. And because all that water is already allocated in the Colorado River and in, in California as a whole, uh, the current trend is to move water from agriculture to uh, these urban areas. Mm-hmm. But the challenge is that the Salton Sea essentially relies on the inefficiencies of agriculture. It's water that runs off the fields, and the farmers need to put more water on their fields because that water that's, by the time it reaches uh, the Imperial Valley, for example, it's picked up a lot of salts along the way, and that salt gets, uh, accumulates in the soil, so they have to pour additional water onto that soil to, to leach those salts out, and that uh, salty water then goes into the Salton Sea. So mm-hmm. as less water goes into the Salton Sea because it's being transferred to, to San Diego and other places, uh, the Salton Sea shrinks. And as it shrinks, it exposes a lot of lake bed, uh, land that used to be under the surface of the, of the lake. Uh, and some of that uh, exposed land, known as playa, blows dust. So it has real public health implications. And then, as Andrea is going to mention, uh, it has real, the Salton Sea has major importance for birds along the Pacific Flyway. Yeah, and I want to talk to Andrea about that right now. Talk to us about the wildlife uh, that is dependent upon the Salton Sea. What is the Pacific Flyway, and how does wildlife suffer when the Salton Sea is strained the way that it currently is? Sure. The um, Pacific Flyway is a major north-south flyway for migratory birds in America, and it extends thousands of miles from Alaska down to Patagonia. And every year, migratory birds by the millions travel some or all of the portion of this distance, both in spring and fall. They're following food sources. They're using geographical features. They're heading to breeding grounds or traveling to overwintering sites. And it's not just the ocean. A lot of birds do travel along the ocean and the coastline, but birds are also traveling on interior routes in the Pacific Flyway, and they're basically hopscotching, um, looking for water sources or forests to feed in along the way during their migration. And some of those migratory pathways include wetlands and include interior lakes. And when the Salton Sea came into existence in its current iteration, it was a perfect site for birds to stop and include in their migratory journey. So over 400 species of birds use the Salton Sea during migration, some overwinter there, and some are breeding there. 
And some people say, well, it didn't used to be there, so why is it important? Well, it's important because California and much of the West has lost over 90% of its wetlands. And so this is really a replacement habitat for places like Tulare Lake in uh, the Central Valley of California that's gone, or much of the Colorado River Delta that's gone, or a lot of the wetlands in the Central Valley. So what I like to say to people is it's not an accident. We got the salt and sea as it is now just in time when we were losing a lot of other lakes and wetlands. So it's a really important place for people to, for birds to stop and feed on the fish and the insect life that's abundant at the salt and sea. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, Michael, I know that the Pacific Institute put out a very comprehensive document that's entitled Hazards Toll, and that document outlines the cost of inaction to manage the Salton Sea. Give us some of the highlights of that document, if you would, please. Hey, sure, thanks. Um, so this report we put out in 2014, about four years ago, and the idea was to, to balance the cost of not doing anything at the Salton Sea. So in For a little context, back in 2003, this water transfer agreement that I mentioned was signed. And part of the the challenge in signing that water transfer agreement was who was going to be responsible for the impacts of the Salton Sea. And it took actually several years to to negotiate that agreement. And at the end of the day, the state of California agreed to essentially backstop the agreement. They said they would accept liability for impacts at the Salton Sea above uh, a set amount paid for by the, the, the agencies that signed the agreement themselves. So in 2006, 2007, as part of this agreement in uh, enabling legislation to make that happen, the state of California went through a process to come up with what they called the preferred alternative, what was going to be the plan for the Salton Sea. And in 2007, the state of California put out a plan uh, that would have cost about $9 billion dollars to protect and restore the wow. fish and wildlife resources and protect public health at the Salton Sea. So that was a huge price tag. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unfortunately, it was shortly before the recession hit. Uh, the state of California, the legislature, and, and others were distracted, and nothing really happened at the Salton Sea. So in 2013 or so, I started to think, we're still not seeing any action at the Salton Sea. We know that this year, 2018, there's going to be a major change in the status of the Salton Sea, so we need to get in front of this, and instead of just looking at this $9 billion price tag, we need to say, what's the, what's the cost of not doing anything at the Salton mm-hmm. Sea? So we put together this report and looked at what the public health impacts could be from this, all this blowing dust, uh, what the potential environmental impacts, particularly to, to the fish and wildlife, uh, as well as some of the agricultural impacts from all this blowing dust, and came up with, uh, again, a pretty ballpark estimate but it, it ranged from some 29 to $70 billion over 30 years for wow. not doing anything. So the, the challenge there was, who pays? And on the one hand, the state of California would be responsible for paying to take action at the Salton Sea. But the flip side is that the people of, uh, of the region, this roughly 650,000 people in Imperial and Coachella Valleys, uh, not to mention all the people in, in Mexico just south of the border, bear the cost of not taking action. So that's been really one of the the real challenges. And what we tried to get out with our report was saying that not doing anything is not a solution because there's still costs associated with that. 
Right, right. And that's such an important point to make for public policy makers. We're going to talk about the human impacts in a little bit of doing nothing or, you know, doing too little. But Andrea, I'd love for you to talk to us about what needs to be done to protect the Salton Sea for for bird life in specifics. Sure. Well, we realize something needs to be done because we're already seeing bird populations changing at the Salton Sea. As Mike talked about, as the sea has receded and we've had this exposed seabed, we're losing some of the bird species. Um, And that's partly because the sea is getting saltier and saltier, and we're losing some of the fish that the birds are relying on. And if there's no fish, there's nothing for fish-eating birds to eat. Um, So we're seeing a reduction in the bird populations, and that's where Audubon comes in. And we're advocating for the state to act and to build habitats on this exposed playa. Um, And this exposed playa right now is dry, and as Mike mentioned, it's emitting dust. It's a very windy region. And so there's multiple benefits of building habitats on the dry playa. If you build the habitats on the dry playa, you control the dust. So you create habitats for birds while also addressing some of the air quality issues in the region. So we're specifically advocating for a variety of different habitats to be built because with over 400 species of birds relying on the sea, we need a lot of different habitats to support the needs of individual species. So we're looking at deep water habitats for the fish-eating birds, wetlands, vegetated wetlands for many of the breeding birds like rails, and then wet surf- surface playa for species like shorebirds that are mi- migrating through and feeding on the insect life. So it's really advocating for a variety of habitats to fit all the needs of the birds that rely on the sea. Great. And, and I know that we're going to be later in the show pointing our listeners towards your website so that they can see more about this, learn more about the, the habitats that you're advocating for. But we're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we return, we have so much more with Andrea Jones and Michael Cohen. And we're talking about the Salton Sea. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all tune in. And if you're just joining us, let me catch you up. Our guests today are Andrea Jones, the Director of Bird Conservation for Audubon, California, and Michael Cohen, who is with the Oakland-based Pacific Institute. And we're talking about the Salton Sea. And uh, before we went to break, Andrea was talking about what needs to be done to protect the Salton Sea for bird life. Michael, let's talk with you about how the degradation of the Salton Sea impacts the humans who live near it. Talk to us about those human health impacts. Uh, it's from the blowing dust. But the important thing, again, is to keep in context the Imperial in Mexico, I'm sorry, the Imperial and Coachella Valleys, which already suffer from uh, some of the worst air quality in the state. So mm-hmm. both valleys have very high childhood asthma hospitalization rates. A lot of these kids are suffering from asthma unable to go to school, being checked into the hospital because they can't breathe. So the, the baseline is already very bad. And what happens is the Salton Sea starts to shrink is that more and more of this lake bed emits dust. And the potential is that there could be a great deal of additional dust uh, making what's already a bad situation that much worse. So what the state needs to do uh, is to start controlling some of the dust blowing off from uh, this playa. Mm-hmm. And is that part of the management plan? I'm sure it must be, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but is that directly addressed in the the management plan? So it is addressed in the management plan, but what's happening is is policy is a a little split on this in that uh, part of the initial agreement required the water agencies, particularly the uh, local agricultural district uh, and San Diego, which received the water, we're paying for and building some of these dust control projects. So on the one hand, the state of California has this broader responsibility to backstop that deal. But mm-hmm. in the meantime, the local irrigation district is building these dust control projects. And they've already built about 1,000 acres of dust control projects. Hmm. But for context, the, the Salton Sea has already shrunk by more than 22,000 acres. So there's a lot more work that needs to be done. I'll say. Andrea, I read on uh, the Audubon website that you got involved with the Salton Sea Project in 2013 when there was concern about an updated Imperial Irrigation District's restoration plan and its potential impact on birds. Talk to us about what was going on at that time and how you and Audubon worked on the issue. Sure. Well, I can attribute Mike to that. Mike approached me in 2013 and and asked Audubon to get involved again in the Salton Sea and help come up with a solution. In 2013 um, was when things started to really change at the sea. You know, the sea's been through a lot of iterations over time, but in 2013 there was a reduction in the amount of water going from the Imperial Valley into the Salton Sea, primarily because of changes in agricultural practices. And that's when we started to see the salinity increase and the water levels start to decrease. 
And we knew at the same time that in 2018, there would be a major drop-off in the amount of water going into the sea. So it was a really good time to start to get involved, to think about what was happening then and what we could expect to be happening over the next five years and beyond. And so Mike really wanted us to, to join in a partnership with other NGOs um, like Defenders of Wildlife and the Sierra Club in thinking about the long-term solutions for the sea. But for me personally and for Audubon, I thought, well, we can't really advocate for the sea unless we know what we've got. Mm-hmm. And to know what we've got means to know how much habitat we have and to be able to advocate for that amount of habitat to be saved going forward. We know that the sea's changing, it's going to be smaller, but the question was, could we still advocate for a certain number of acres of habitat to be built and maintained over time to support the birds that need the sea as well as controlling the dust? So what our science team did was we built a habitat suitability model, which basically looks at what habitat birds are using on the ground, what conditions they need to survive on a daily basis, and how many acres of that habitat existed at the sea in 2013. So we built that model and quantified 58,000 acres of habitat, and that's everything from the deep water habitat that a brown pelican needs to the playa that a snowy plover needs. And that was helpful to have that number because then we were able to go to the state and say, you know, whatever happens to the sea, you need to make sure that these number of acres of habitat are maintained in some way at the sea so that the birds still have a place to live. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's what we've been advocating for. um, And and now we're including in that advocation looking at how much water those habitat acres need and what conditions those habitat acres need, such as salinity levels, what kind of food birds need, what kind of cover the birds need to survive. Um, So that's really what we've been um, studying and advocating for. Mm -hmm. And what I really appreciate about the way that Audubon approaches this and so many other projects is that it's so database, it's so scientific, um, you know, and that that just... um, that's so invaluable in public policy making, you know, we really can't rely just on emotion and our gut instincts. Um, and so I really appreciate the way Audubon does that. Um, Michael, I, I know that California has put together a 10 year plan to manage the Salton Sea. Talk to us a little bit about that plan. We referred to it a moment ago when we were talking about dust control, but uh, what else should we know about this 10 year plan? The the 10-year plan is through 2028, um, and the general goal of the plan is to put in about 15,000 acres of habitat and 15,000 acres of dust control projects in that time period. Um, But the state is well, well behind schedule. So part of the challenge is that we knew in 2014 when I wrote the report, or even back in 2003, that this year, 2018, was going to really be the, the tipping point for the Salton Sea. And that's because as part of this 2003 deal, the local irrigation district was obliged to deliver additional water to the Salton Sea to essentially hold conditions there relatively stable, at least in terms of salinity. But starting this year, that obligation went away, and what we've seen is the Salton Sea really start to decline much more rapidly. So to get in front of that, the, the state of California needs to be building projects uh, and have projects on the ground already. And unfortunately, there's not a single acre of habitat project at the Salton Sea constructed by the state yet. Mm. So what this plan does uh, is the 10-year plan 
is lays out some general concepts of what's going to happen and identifies a couple specific areas, but well short of, of the 15,000 acres of habitat that they need to construct. Uh, so there's an, some initial areas designed. Um, no construction has begun yet, and the state is well behind schedule in getting these projects on the ground. Mm-hmm. I don't suppose we could just truck in every Boy Scout going for his Eagle Award and have them do it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's really frustrating to wait on the state to do these things. And um, that's that's too bad to hear that it's so far behind schedule. Andrea, you serve on the Science Advisory Committee for the Salt and Sea Management Program. Talk to us about the function of that committee and who else serves with you on that committee, what you hope to accomplish. So the Science Advisory Committee was formed by the state um, at our urging, along with some of our partners' urging, as a, a body that could advise the state, particularly the Department of Water Resources, on when and where and how to build habitats. And so what we've been doing and what we will continue to do is to review plans and proposals for future habitat creation projects making sure that they meet the needs of the species. Um, And we've also been looking at um, creating monitoring plans um, because once the habitats are built, you can't just walk away. We Mm -hmm. need to make sure that the birds are using them, and if they're not, make adjustments and adaptations to the habitat to make sure that the birds are healthy and we are not having any die-offs. So the Science Advisory Committee is really a review body for um, proposals coming out of the state, basically design plans and things like that um, to, that will be going onto the ground to build these habitats. Because, as Mike said, no habitats have really been built to date. Um, we haven't had a lot to review, um, but we, we have met a few times, and we're, we're thinking about the needs of the birds And uh, one of the interesting conversations we're having now is how do we prioritize the different habitats that need to be built for the birds? In other words, what species are the most important to maintain at the Salton Sea in terms of the Pacific Flyway? And that gets into questions of if you remove the Salton Sea from the system, which birds are most likely to suffer? Is it the eared grebe or is it the white pelican? And do we really need to focus on one type of habitat over another? one species over another. So we're having those conversations now to try and prioritize which species and habitats are the most important going forward. And Boy, that's, that's a variety. Tricky yeah, it is. It's, it's a tricky conversation, and it's hard to make those decisions. Um, but we're, we have a great group of people in the committee, and it's made up of U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, California Department of Fish and Wildlife, um, some professors from local universities, Point Blue Conservation Science, and then the Department of Water Resources and, and other groups, and you know some, some citizens. There's often um, local community members that come in and listen and provide some input, which is always really valuable because they're the people seeing things on the ground. Sure. Now, Michael, you serve on a couple of the committees, the 10-year plan committee and the long-range plan committee of the Salton Sea Management Program. Talk to us a little bit about the function and goals of those two committees and the other organizations besides Pacific Institute that are represented. Sure. So the committees are, uh, the general idea is to help inform the state's process, uh, both for this short term, this for the next 10 years, and then uh, as uh, the transfer continues, the, the transfer is ultimately could be through 2077. Um, so there needs to be a plan in place to, to meet the needs of the Salton Sea through that long-term period. So 
the, the general charge of the committees is to help the state develop these plans for the, the short-term and the long-term periods. But to date, the, the committees have really been somewhat ad hoc, uh, and there's not been uh, really the defined role or uh, as much input into the state process as we might, we might like. And part of that, I think, is because the state uh, has not really devoted the staff or the resources to the solvency management program that uh, the situation warrants. Mm-hmm. So here's a major challenge for the state of California, uh, and frankly, something that's going to cost hundreds of millions of dollars. And there's really only a few people from the state of California working on this issue on a full-time basis. So there's a real disconnect between the scale of the problem uh, and the amount of resources the state of California is, is throwing towards this. Mm-hmm. So and a little there. bit later, a little bit later in the show, we'll talk about some of the uh, a new source of funding for the project and and get into that piece of the public policy. But we've got to take a quick commercial break. We have so much more to discuss, so don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. 
Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I am so glad that you all joined us. And in case you're just tuning in, I'll catch you up. Our subject today is the Salton Sea. It's the largest lake in the state of California. It's a very important ecosystem, but it's also an ecosystem under a tremendous amount of duress. And as a result, there are impacts that are negative for both wildlife and for the upwards of 650,000 residents human beings that live in the area. And we're talking today with Andrea Jones, who's the Director of Bird Conservation for Audubon, California, and Michael Cohen, who is with the Oakland-based Pacific Institute. And we've been talking about some of the issues related to the Salton Sea and what it's going through right now. Um, And Andrea has been very active in helping Audubon educate its chapters and some of its other NGO allies to advocate for the Salton Sea. And Andrea, I'm just wondering when you educate uh, your chapters and and these other groups to advocate for the Salton Sea, what kind of uh, training does that include? What are the goals of the training? Talk to us about how you do that. Sure. Well, we have 49 chapters around California, and the thing with the Salton Sea is most of our chapters have heard about it, unlike some of the members of the public um, in California have never even heard of the Salton Sea. The reason they've heard about the Salton Sea is because it's such a popular place to go bird watching. So we don't have to convince them why the sea needs to be saved. Um, But what we do do with the chapters is talk to them about the importance to various bird species, how to talk to other people about it, especially people that might use the argument of who cares, it was an accident, it doesn't belong there, just get rid of it, and give them the tools to address those arguments in a constructive way. Um, And we also encourage the chapters to continue to go down and visit the sea and take birdwatching field trips and show people the birds. We've built an online birding trail map so people know how to access the sea and where to go to look for birds. Um, But it's more than just about birding. We also talk to our chapters about the solutions at the sea and how to advocate to the state. So there's been many times where we've asked our chapters um, and its members to submit letters to the state urging the state to take action. Our chapters got very active during the Proposition 68 campaign, um, meeting with their local legislators, submitting letters, submitting um, op-eds, and writing newsletter articles about the importance of Prop 68 and why it would be good for, for the birds and for the Salton Sea. So it's really about making sure all across the state people are able to talk about the sea and why it's important to save for birds and people. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense, and I know that you've been quite effective in that campaign. Michael, talk to us about what it takes from a political perspective to manage the Salton Sea. I mean, during one of the breaks, we were talking about how um, the late Sonny Bono and his his wife, who became a congressman in his stead after his passing, they've both championed the Salton Sea. You have all this star power behind it. But why hasn't something been done before? Well, one of the challenges with the Salton Sea is, is simply the scale of it. This is a huge lake, and any solution is going to require a fair amount of money and a fair amount of staff and resources dedicated to, to developing that program and implementing it. But one of the, I think, the big political challenges is that the, the Salton Sea is, is really way off in the hinterlands of southeastern California. Although there's 650,000 people that live around it, uh, relative to the population of California as a whole, that's pretty small which means that region has not a whole lot of political power. 
Mm-hmm. So what we've said for many years is that if the salt and sea were next to Sacramento or next to L.A., uh, this problem would have been solved a long time ago. And actually, a, I think a pretty good analog is the Great Salt Lake. So the Great Salt Lake out in Utah, the, this iconic lake, is facing some similar challenges. It'll be interesting to see how Salt Lake City and uh, people in the state of Utah respond to the, the challenges at the Great Salt Lake, another major stopover on the Pacific Flyway. But one of the real problems is that we've not had uh, the political... Um, clout to make something happen at the Salton Sea. There are a lot of challenges for the state of California. And I think the, the real fundamental problem is that people are really good re- to re- in responding to a crisis, but we don't do so well in getting out to problems that we see coming in down, the, down the pike. So California, there's a lot of talk. Uh, we've heard a lot about the fires in California, Oroville Dam last year that, that collapsed mm-hmm. the, the spillway. So the California has been throwing a lot of resources at, at these other problems but not so much at this kind of diffuse problem of the Salton Sea where we, you don't have that immediate crisis of a fire or of a flood or, or a hurricane or something else that really gets people into action. And, and people in this country do a great job of responding to that kind of crisis, but a kind of a diffuse crisis, which is what we're seeing at the Salton Sea, doesn't generate that kind of response. So that's, that's been another challenge that we need to overcome. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I know that it's not just California in that predicament because... You know, we we talk to subject matter experts on everything from water infrastructure to energy infrastructure and things like that in other parts of the country and other parts of the world where, um, though we can see, you know, a a very data-driven projection of what's to come if we don't act and and upgrade some of those infrastructure things that there will be, you know, catastrophes, um, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't move us like, you know, what happens when everything breaks. So um, totally, totally understand that. Andrea, you know, we talked a little bit about Prop 68 that recently passed in uh, June of this year and voters, you know, approved that. But uh, voters have done that before and then we do diddle around and nothing happens for a few years. Um, What is Audubon and your partners doing to hasten the deployment of Prop 68 funds to the Salton Sea Project? Sure. Yeah, we're working within the legislature and the state agencies to ensure that there's swift and responsive state governance in place so that the $200 million that's available to build projects gets put on the ground as quickly as possible. So we're doing that by identifying priority projects around the sea itself, working with some of the local agencies um, and local groups on the ground, like California Department of Fish and Wildlife, to identify the sort of low-hanging fruit, the projects that can be start to be built now and that would be eligible for this funding. We're also providing the science and the monitoring that the state needs to make sure that uh, projects that are built are the highest priority and have the greatest chance of success on the ground. And we're also working in a state capital and just basically, you know, talking to elected officials to ensure that money gets deployed quickly and is used smartly so that it's used efficiently. It's not used um, for internal costs, but it really is primarily used for the actual cost of building the habitat and then monitoring and maintaining the habitat. If we see that things aren't going quickly, we will ask for hearings, we will um, talk to officials and try and speed things up. At the same time, we have a new governor coming on in the Mm -hmm. fall, and um, so we're already starting to talk now about 
how we can make sure that the Salton Sea is on the top priority list for the new governor. Um, and with a new governor in place, we're hoping that things will speed up in terms of getting projects on the ground. Mm-hmm. And lastly, we're making sure we have local advocates around the sea. We're building a group of constituents and local residents that are voices of the sea. They're the people that are out there on a daily basis dealing with a health crisis, observing what's happening to the birds. And if we give them the tools, they can also talk to their local elected officials to advocate for projects to be put on the ground with this $200 million that's available. Absolutely. And Michael, you know, I'd like for you to have a whack at the Prop 68 issue as it relates to the Salton Sea. Um, Since voters approved that ballot measure, what do you see as the next steps? Well, the, the key next step is really to start putting projects on the ground. Uh, at this point, it's, it's become a pro- project implementation challenge. Uh, we're, we're simply unable to get these projects built, uh, not just at the rate at which the sea is receding, but really at any rate at all. So prior to the passage of Prop 68 and this new influx of $200 million, there was already $80 million in solvency accounts from uh, Proposition 1. And then prior to that, there have been a couple other propositions. So there's over $100 million uh, insolvency accounts in addition to this Prop 68 funding. So money is, is uh, not the limiting factor at the solvency right now. It's really uh, project delivery, getting a project management structure in place that can deliver projects that can overcome some of these uh, own property ownership and liability issues and some of these other challenges that really all, all projects face. But to get those resolved quickly to get all the permits in place quickly and to start really building projects. And that's that's our greatest challenge right now. Mm-hmm. Andrea, one of the things that I love most about Audubon and what I think makes it such a successful organization is that you you tend to have a message that transcends partisanship. Audubon has this unique ability to bring people of various political affiliations together. Talk about how you've been able to accomplish that with the Salton Sea Project. Sure. As we like to say, birds have no party. (laughs) So um, (laughs) everyone loves birds, and so it's a good place to start. Um, But the first thing we did when we really built up our work at the Salton Sea was to hire a local director. So we hired Frank Ruiz, and he's based in Coachella Valley, and he has really strong ties in the the community. Um, Unfortunately, he wasn't able to join us today, but he's been in place for a couple of years now, um, building partnerships um, across very different community groups and bringing people together. Um, And that includes uh, church groups, public health groups, environmental justice organizations. He's talking to the Chamber of Commerce talking to developers, universities, um, local tribes, really bringing people together. He's um, hosting festivals and talking events, um, going you know, door-to-door in some cases, and really listening to people and bringing people together around common themes. And when you start talking about public health, it also doesn't matter what your partisanship is. It, everyone's aware of the issue, or if they're not, he makes sure they're aware of issue, and they can work on it together, and he can also say, you know, what's good for the health of the community is also good for the birds. We need to control the dust, and to do that, we need to get habitats on the ground. So he's, he's actually in the process of starting a new community program called Eyes on the Sea, 
which will be training local community members to go out onto the sea edges and record the birds that they're seeing, record the conditions that they're seeing, and build more science uh, that we can take to the state based on what people are really seeing on the ground. Um, And that's really important because a lot of people talk about the sea that are trying to manage it, but they don't ever go and look at it, and you really need Mm -hmm. to go see it to experience it. So true, and that's a that's a great service that he's providing to the project and to the the wildlife that are dependent upon it. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have much more Go Green Radio. So don't go away, folks. We'll be back right after this. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you're all with us and so glad that Michael and Andrea are with us today to talk about the Salton Sea and and it really needs our attention and it needs advocacy. You know, Michael, when we talk about the Salton Sea and its importance to both wildlife and the human communities around it, it might seem like a no-brainer to our listeners um, that there would be unanimous support for management or restoration efforts. But there are competing priorities that have impeded management projects. Help us understand the motivation behind efforts that have been contrary to the health of the Salton Sea ecosystem. So I, I guess there's a couple ways to, to get at that. One of the challenges is, is, just as you mentioned, there's a lot of competing priorities at the, at the state of California and at the federal level. So uh, it's just one of many challenges that the state of California faces, and there's a Ultimately, there's limited staff and, and resources to, to, get, to dedicate to the problem. And uh, sadly, the, the Salton Sea has just not risen to the top of the list for uh, the governor's office to, to address. So that's one of our challenges. And partly that's um, we appreciate your uh, bringing the Salton Sea to the attention of your listeners because that helps get people to, to understand what an important resource this really is. Um, one of the challenges is that people often see the, the Salton Sea as an artificial lake. And there's a lot of... Uh, pictures out there, and there have been some documentaries really kind of focusing or fixating on the negative, I would say, that looking at um, some of the challenges or uh, facts around the Salton Sea that, that make it not something that people want to embrace. 
Mm-hmm. So that's been something that we need to overcome. And uh, I think part of the response to that is uh, people have affected so many environments throughout the planet uh, that we're no, no longer really able to pick and choose and say, well, this is a pristine environment because really there aren't that many pristine environments left. And frankly, the birds don't distinguish. The birds see this as a tremendous resource, as, uh, as Andrea mentioned, and it, it provides huge habitat value up and down the Pacific Flyway. So losing it from that perspective has major repercussions throughout North and South America. Um, but one of the real challenges, uh, as I mentioned, was water in the West. And water supply in, the, in California and the Colorado River, Basin, River Basin states is really increasingly limited. Uh, so one of the, the management policy decisions was that there was going to be a trade-off, that they were going to um, essentially sacrifice some of the environmental values at the Salton Sea and perhaps not intentionally some of the, the public health in the region to preserve water supply reliability, for, particularly for Southern California and the coastal regions. And this is going to be made even worse because the Colorado River uh, is in its 19th year of drought and the elevation of Lake Mead continues to fall which means shortages are increasingly likely, and the states of Arizona and Nevada could face shortages as soon as 2020. So there's an ongoing effort right now to figure out ways to get these uh, Arizona and Nevada and ultimately the state of California to take less water from the Colorado River, but that in turn is going to mean uh, the situation at the Salt Sea gets even worse. So there's these huge trade-offs because it's an arid region. The Colorado River is really the lifeline for, for that region, and helping to allocate that water um, differently means that some of, these in, some of these resources that we really treasure are going to be sacrificed. So what we really need the state of California to do is start putting some projects on the ground to help uh, backstop these broader negotiations and to show that we can actually protect environmental resources and protect public health at the same time that we're reallocating water in the West. Mm-hmm. And don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. I mean, like, get started on something. Even if we can't do the whole thing all at once, I mean, it, that does that shouldn't preclude action um, in, a, in a step-by-step way. I mean, we can still do some of the work. So I, it, it, is, it is pretty frustrating. Um, but at the same time, we also know that in as much as resources like water are limited and there's a lot of demand for them, of course, human resources are the same same situation. And, and very few people are in favor of further bloating the, the payroll of state government, um, you know, when it comes to some of these issues. And yet, um, it is a bandwidth itch issue. It's as much a human resource as it is, you know, financial and and natural resource issue. So, it, it's, it is very complicated. Um, Andrea, I, I want to give you a chance to talk to our listeners directly about how they can get involved and how they can help Audubon save the Salton Sea. Sure. Well, in brevity, I would just say learn about it, advocate for it, and go visit it. Learning about it means that you can talk to people and counteract the argument that I've said before about why the sea should continue to exist. And you can spread that message, and you can spread that message just by talking to people, by going to your state legislators, by writing op-eds, by joining your local Audubon chapter, and um, by writing newsletter articles, just basically being a general advocate wherever you are in the state for why the Salton Sea is important for the whole state of California. And you can advocate for it if you know what it is and why it's important and what some of the solutions are. It's also really important to go visit it 
without visitors, the local businesses suffer. Um, there's restaurants and motels around the sea, and we put those on our birding trail map. So there's great opportunities to visit the sea. And if you visit it, don't just take a picture of a dead bird or a dead fish, but appreciate the beauty of the place and the birds that are still there. I was just there last week and saw thousands and thousands of shorebirds. The shoreline was just beautiful with birds. So it's really a fun place to go visit. Maybe not in July when it's really hot, but (laughs) in the winter and fall months, it's a really beautiful place to go visit and appreciate the bird life that's there. And if you live in the region, contact Audubon and find out how to volunteer. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to be having a lot of volunteer opportunities to come up to help us count the birds and to help document the conditions around the sea and to go talk in community groups. So there'll be a lot of volunteer opportunities. We need people out there to be observing and appreciating and talking about the sea. Well, and I can't help but think that a lot of parents and grandparents who have children with these terrible asthma problems, you know, once the connection is made for them between the health of the Salton Sea and their own, the children that they love, their health, um, that they could be very effective advocates from a, a social justice and environmental justice perspective as well, putting a, a human face for those who may or may not be as attached to bird life and other wildlife as we are, um, but putting a child's face on the problem as well might be uh, very helpful. So I encourage parent groups and parent advocacy groups to get involved as well. Um, Michael, I want to ask you, what would success, and I'm saying in air quotes, everybody can't see me do that, we're on the radio, but what would success in air quotes uh, look look like for the Salton Sea Management Plan? No, I, I think uh, there's a lot of complications with the Salton Sea and a lot of reasons why we haven't achieved success. But I guess at the end of the day, success isn't that hard. Um, there's a lot of money already dedicated to Salton Sea efforts. And unlike a lot of these environmental challenges throughout the West, which lack water, there will continue to be hundreds of thousands of acre feet, staggering amounts of water flowing into the Salton Sea for decades to come. So what we need to do is optimize the use of that water, manage that water, and put some projects on the ground. And there's a lot of good examples of what those projects look like. So if people fly over uh, South San Diego Bay or South San Francisco Bay, they see these kind of cells, and the idea is to, to replicate that, to capture some of this water, spread it out. And then, as we saw with one brief project that, that existed from 2006 to 2010, at the Salton Sea, we know this can work. So that project was about 100 acres, and it, it didn't, again, it just kind of captured that water uh, and managed it. And we had more than 200 different species of birds in large numbers visiting that site. So that's essentially what, to me, what success looks like, getting some projects on the ground, increasing bird numbers, and preventing dust. And the good news is we have the money to do that. It's not a technical challenge. Uh, and there's general consensus in the region to make that happen. So I think success is within reach. We just really need to to start speeding up and building those projects and getting them on the ground. 
Uh, well said, Michael. I, you know, I just want to thank you and I want to thank Andrea for being with us today. And for our listeners who want to get more involved, it's so simple. You just Google Audubon California Salt and Sea. Boom. That's all you have to do. And you can find all the information that you want, ways to get plugged in and engaged. And I really encourage you to check this out. This is um, kind of the canary in the coal mine for um, so many of the climate-related um issues that we're going to be facing in the 21st century. So take a look at this. It's really worth your time. Thank you to Andrea and Michael for joining us. Thank you to our listeners for joining us. We'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. And until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.